If you have your copy of God's Word with you, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 25. Just a reminder as you're turning that this is God's Word written for you here now as I read, starting in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 25. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran, and there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm. And they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes. For we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son. David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 men remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm. And we did not miss anything when we were in the fields, as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us both by night and by day, all the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this, and consider what you should do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took two hundred loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five sails of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and two hundred cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her. And she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. 
God do so to the enemies of David and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord, whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. For the Lord is certainly, will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. In the lives of your enemies he shall sling out from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me. Truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she brought to him. And he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and have granted your petition. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So he, she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal, and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and of the both of them became his wives. 
Saul, gave, Saul had given Michal, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was of Galim. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us this evening to come before you and hear your word. Your word is truth, so we pray that it would give light and life to your servants. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I have a theory for why babies cry so much when they are born. I think it is because they've been brought into this fallen world against their will, and now they have to figure out how to live here for the next 70 plus years. Obviously a little bit of a joke, but it is amazing how much of our lives is just responding to what's going on around us. There's the famous cliche about how life is 10% what happens and 90% how you respond to it. Like all cliches, it's a cliche because there's a nugget of truth to it. How someone responds to something says a lot about that person. In 1 Samuel 25, we'll look at the responses or reactions of three people. Through these reactions, we will see what it looks like to live according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Or as Matthew, or Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, a good tree will bear good fruits and a bad tree will bear bad fruits. And from this, we will see that because believers are supposed to bear good fruit in their lives, that the Lord helps us as we live, seek to live according to His Spirit. And we'll start our look at 1 Samuel 25, looking at verses 3 through 24. We'll look at what it means for a good tree to bear good fruit. The author of 1 Samuel frames this concept out for us in a way that is unique for the Old Testament. Looking at verse 3, we actually get introductions to two of the major characters in this passage. And looking at verse 3, we see that Abigail is actually described to us first. Nabal is introduced, but Abigail is described. What the author is doing is raising Abigail to a level of prominence in the passage. We are supposed to keep our eyes on her to see what she is going to be doing. Interestingly enough, this word discerning that she is described as is also used of David earlier in 1 Samuel. In contrast to Abigail is Nabal. He is harsh and badly behaved. Literally translated, it's Nabal does evil deeds. So when you read badly behaved here, it's not that he throws a timber tantrum every once in a while and has bad table manners. No, this is an evil man. By giving us this small introduction, the author is telling us that who these people are, the character of these people, will be influencing what they are going to do in the following verses. But before looking at their reactions, there first has to be an action to set this all in motion. And we see this in verse 9. David makes a request to Nabal through David's servants. He tries to win the favor of Nabal by extending blessings to Nabal and all of his household. Then he further tries to win favor by describing their previous relationship, how David had faithfully served Nabal in the past by protecting his flocks. And then in verse 10, we get Nabal's response. And his response starts with two questions. Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? Now, this is not Nabal claiming to be ignorant of who David is. At this point, 
David and Saul's conflict is very well known in Israel. And this is not Nabal suddenly becoming philosophical either. No, these two questions are first, Nabal rejecting David as David. He's rejecting David on his own. But then it is Nabal rejecting David as a family member. Nabal is a Calebite. He comes from the tribe of Judah just as David did. That is his family member, and he is saying, no, I'm not going to help you and your men out. But it's this last part of Nabal's response that really shows us the heart of Nabal. It shows us who he is. Let me just listen as I reread verse 11. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? Seven times. Seven. That is how many times that Nabal refers to himself in that single sentence. For Nabal, this is not about the bread. It's not about the meat. It's not about the water. It's not about the shearers. This isn't even about David and Saul. No, for Nabal, this is all about Nabal. A bad tree bears bad fruit. And in this case, we see the bad fruit of Nabal. Nabal is consumed with a love of self and a love of wealth. Nabal is not a poor man. As we saw, he has 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He is incredibly well off. He can afford to give a little bit of food to David and his men. But he doesn't want to, because it's his food and his stuff. In stark contrast, though, we get Abigail's reaction. Starting in verse 14, we see that while Nabal is railing against David's men, one of Nabal's servants goes to find Abigail. In typical married couple fashion, the husband does something that we will call ill-advised, and now it is the wife to fix the situation. After all, she is a very discerning woman. She knows how to fix it. Understanding the situation, she anticipates David's response. She knows what's about to happen. So in verse 18, we see that she hastily gathers up the food and the wine to bring to David's men. In verse 23, we see that she is able to intercept David on his way to Nabal's house. And she immediately climbs down off the donkey, bows to the ground. She is showing the great honor and respect to David that Nabal refused to show. And if that was not striking enough, let me reread what she says to David. The first thing she says is, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Though she was clearly never at fault, Abigail is taking the blame on herself. She is saying that if you're going to kill anybody today, David, it should be me. It is my fault. Of course, both Abigail and David know that this isn't the case. But this is where we see the great contrast between Abigail and Nabal. Whereas Nabal only thinks of himself, Abigail is thinking of others. Nabal only had him in mind. Abigail is willing to put the lives of others in front of her own. Even Nabal, who she calls a worthless fellow. A good tree bears good fruits. A bad tree bears bad fruits. You will know them by their fruit. And it's at this moment we have to ask ourselves, if we are known by our actions, then what am I known for? What kind of fruit am I known for bearing in my own life? 
We must all honestly examine the state of our own hearts and take account of our own souls. The problem of that being, of course, that our hearts are deceitful. They like to tell us that we're better than we actually are. That is why God is so gracious to give us His Word. We are not to measure our hearts by our own standards of good and evil. We are supposed to measure it by His standards of good and evil. And if that was not gracious enough, God has given us specific passages that we can look and take account of our own souls. We have the Ten Commandments. We have the Sermon on the Mount. We have the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. I would encourage you to look at Galatians 5 at some point and dwell on the fruits of the Spirit in that chapter. Earnestly think through them and whether or not you can see them in your own lives. For some of you, you have been walking with the Lord for a long time and He has been very gracious to help you grow and exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Praise God for that and pray that He would continue to work in you and continue to form you into the image of Christ. Some of you may look at that list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 and see some that you know you struggle with. It could be one, it could be many. Just know that there is hope. Just choose one of the fruit of the Spirit. Pray over that one fruit. Ask God that He would be merciful and that He would help you grow in that fruit of the Spirit. Pray that He would grant you the grace needed to grow in that one fruit. Find passages that relate to that one fruit. Meditate over them in your heart. Let the Word dwell in your heart. Then as you grow in that one fruit, grow on to the next one and the next one, adding them to the list as you go along. The Bible is not just the standard by which we examine ourselves by, it's also the instrument of change. Through the Word and through prayer, we can grow in grace, grow in godliness, and continue to walk in the Spirit. after looking at what it means to do good deeds, to walk according to the Spirit, we now see in this passage that there are two ways that the Lord helps us as we seek to do so. The first way that God helps us as we seek to live according to the Spirit is that He provides escapes from sin and paths to righteousness. And we see this in David's reaction. We'll start our look at David in verse 13. We see that David's immediate response to Nabal's rejection is to have the, his men grab their swords because they need to go kill Nabal. Now, you may be thinking that David's reaction is a little extreme, and that's because it is. One might even say that it is a sudden and overwhelming retaliation. We know that David's men are not in the best of situations. They are on the run constantly. They are hungry. They are tired. But looking at the chapter previous, we know that David had just spared Saul. Saul, the man that has been chasing him around Israel, trying to kill him constantly. That guy David spares, but Nabal has to die. But before we get too ahead of ourselves in judgment of David, we all have moments where we respond to temptation in ways that we are not proud of. Just think of how you respond when someone cuts you off in traffic, or whatever the case may be. We all do and say things that we are not proud of because of our sin. 
But before David can carry out his desire to kill Nabal and all of the men of his household, Abigail stops him. We have seen how she humbly takes the blame upon herself, but look at what she says next. She tells him to disregard Nabal, who is a worthless fellow. She says that Nabal is as his, man, as his name suggests, and his name literally means fool in Hebrew. In verse 28, she continues by telling David that how the Lord will make him a sure house, how he will be bound in the bundle of the care of the Lord. In verse 30, she affirms that the Lord will make David king over Israel and fulfill his promises to David. In short, she is reminding David of all the good things, all the great things that the Lord has already done and that the Lord is going to do in David's life. She is essentially asking David if killing Nabal is worth jeopardizing all that. Is he willing to jeopardize all that the Lord will do in order to kill Nabal, the man whose name literally means fool? Is David really willing to commit that great sin to kill that guy? Is he willing to possibly lose the kingship just like Saul did by sinning against the Lord his God? Thinking back to the driver that has cut us off, that person will never see our face. He'll never hear the words we're spitting at him in anger. Is that moment of sin really worth it? Is it really worth committing murder in our hearts for a person that will never see our face or hear our words? It is because of Abigail that David sees his folly. But I want us to focus in on what both Abigail and David say about this situation. Both say how it was the Lord that prevented David from sin. It was the Lord that prevented David from blood guilt and from taking justice into his own hands instead of letting the Lord judge Nabal for his sins. In verse 34, David again says that it was the Lord that had restrained him. Both Abigail and David acknowledged that it was the Lord that prevented David from sin, that it was the faithfulness and goodness of the Lord that was with David that day. Just as God was faithful to David to keep him from sin, God is faithful to us to keep us from sin. Are we not promised in 1 Corinthians 10 that God will provide an escape for us when we are tempted? There will always be times when we are tempted to sin. There will always be bad drivers to cut us off, especially on 77. God has given us the person and work of Christ. He has given us the written word of God. He has given us other believers to help us just as he gave Abigail to David that day to keep him from sin. Lean on these things. Lean on Christ in your hour of need. He is our great high priest who can empathize with us and help us overcome temptation. Lean on the promises of God who find their yes and amen in Christ. Lean on the church and let others help you bear your burdens as you seek to help others bear their burdens. Love Christ more than you love sin. 
The Lord has graciously provided all these things to us so that we may kill sin, kill the fruit of the flesh, and walk according to His Spirit. They are two sides of the same coin. By killing the fruit of the flesh, we are living according to the Spirit. And by living according to the Spirit, we are killing the deeds of the flesh. So the first way the Lord helps us walk according to His Spirit is by providing escapes from sin. We'll look at the second way the Lord helps us walk according to the Spirit by finishing the stories of Abigail and Nabal. Looking at verse, verse 33, Abigail is blessed by David for her discernment and the fact that all of Nabal's household is spared because of her actions. And when Abigail returns from her conversation with David, she finds Nabal having a feast. We are even told that this is a feast fit for a king. Just in case you couldn't tell Nabal is the bad guy in this story, we're told that he is holding this feast fit for a king, despite the fact that he had just rejected the anointed king of Israel earlier that day. He had rejected the Lord's anointed because of Nabal's drunkness, Abigail tells him what happened the next morning when he was fully aware. It is at this moment that it is said that his heart dies within him. But more importantly, in verse 38, we see that it was the Lord that struck Nabal down. The Lord dealt with Nabal according to Nabal's sins. David even says in verse 39 how the Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. David, hearing of Nabal's death, takes Abigail for his wife. Whereas Nabal received a just judgment for his evil, Abigail is rewarded for her faithfulness to the Lord's anointed. From the conclusion of Abigail and Nabal's stories, we see that the Lord helps his saints live according to the Spirit by reminding us that he is a just God. He punishes the wicked for the evil on one hand, but on the other hand, He rewards their saints for their obedience. And I want us to focus in on this second part, because it's not something we talk about often in our Reformed circles, and often for a very good reason. We don't want to fall into a prosperity gospel on one hand, nor do we want a work-based salvation on the other. But to help us think through this category of the Lord rewarding His saints, I want to reread part of the confession that we read earlier. And I quote, But that God, looking upon good works in His Son, is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere, although accompanied by many weaknesses and imperfections. The Lord, the Lord is great. But the confession helpfully points out to us that these are works done by born-again believers. They have the Spirit within them, and they are looked at through Christ because they are not perfect. Yet, despite their flaws, despite the fact that our good works still are tainted with sin, He is genuinely pleased and rewards our good works when they are done out of a sincere love for Him. Just to make sure that I'm clear, our good works do not save us. 
nor will our taxes be in a higher tax bracket next year if we do a bunch of good things this year. That's not what I'm saying. But there is a biblical category for the Lord rewarding his saints in the next life for the good works they exhibit while as a result of obedience to him. Our Father is pleased when we bear good fruits according to the Spirit, just like any father would be proud of their child when they do a good deed. The confession is not the end-all, be-all, though, but rather it's to point us back to the Bible. Looking at Matthew 25 here, Jesus is teaching on the final judgment, as we looked at a few weeks ago, to the sheep that will inherit the kingdom that was prepared before the world for them. King Jesus says this, For when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. And on down the list. Now, of course, there's much more to be said about how the Lord's sovereign mercy is first and foremost in separating the sheep from the goats. But in his invitation to the sheep, he only references the fruit that they have borne in this life. The sheep bore the work of the Spirit within them, and in return, Christ calls them blessed. We are not saved by our good works, but it would be wrong to think that the Lord does not care what we do in this life. Speaking about believers that have died, Revelations 14.13 says, Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. And then lastly, looking at 1 Corinthians 3.13-14, we see again the subject is Judgment Day. And here Paul says that anyone who has built on the foundation that lasts will receive a reward. When all things come to light, God will judge all actions. For the believers, He will judge their good works according to their actions and reward them. Again, this is, reward is not something we see on this side of glory. Rather, it is something far greater Abigail was rewarded greatly by an earthly king, for she became his wife. How much greater will the reward be from our heavenly king when we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant? We easily talk about how God will discipline us for our sin, that we might see the error of our ways and come back to the fold. Why are we so hesitant to acknowledge that God will reward us in heaven for our good works here in this life? Let's be honest, though. Doing good deeds is not always easy. We are imperfect creatures at best. We are impatient and easily distracted from the things that would glorify our God. But know that your Heavenly Father is pleased when you grow in grace, when you grow in knowledge of Him and bear the good fruit of the Spirit in your lives. Christ Ridge, we will be known by our fruit. How we respond to the things that happen to us in this life will show the character of our hearts. Will we be known for exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit like Abigail, or will we be known for bearing the fruit of the flesh like Nabal? 
Let us display the fruit in the Spirit in how we love others. Let us grow in godliness and let us grow in grace, knowing that we are not alone in this fight, but that the Lord will sustain us and help us as we seek to live according to His Word, knowing that by faithfully serving the Lord in this life, there will be blessings awaiting us in heaven. Brothers and sisters, we have been given a glorious salvation by grace. Let us not fall back into the sins in which we once walked and heap judgment upon ourselves. Rather, let us run this race set before us, looking to the founder and perfecter of our faith, bearing fruit that is in keeping with repentance and laying up for ourselves treasures that are in heaven. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that you have shown us in our lives. Thank you for the fact that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and that though we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins, that you have raised us up with Christ, that you have made us alive with Christ. God, we pray that you would continue to grant us your grace and that we may walk in the good works that you have prepared before us. God, we pray that this would not be the end of our worship for this week, but rather that this would be the beginning of our worship, that in all that we would do, we would do it to glorify you, our God, and our King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.